It's Thursday, March 31st, and this has been Shop Talk Week on Talk Commerce. With so much technical disruption, it is important to stay relevant, and I can think of no better way than merging, acquiring, or being acquired. However, these transactions fail because critical deal processes such as diligence and integration are being poorly conducted without proven successful techniques. This week, we interview Kinson Patel, CEO and founder of M&A Science. As a former M&A advisor, he has seen these challenges firsthand and set out to develop tools and techniques that address industry failings and enable M&A practitioners to drive growth and maximize value. Talk Commerce is brought to you by ChipBot. Are you enjoying answering the same question over and over every day? Do you wonder why people are leaving your site? Are you sick of knowing how many carts are left abandoned, moments away from a sale, or are you just getting exhausted? thinking about parsing all that data from your website. I recently found this great tool that I installed on the Talk Commerce website. You can see it live right now at talk-commerce.com. Chipbot Pylons and Chipbot Nexus are two tools integrated into one plugin that helps you manage your site smarter. It took me less than 15 minutes to configure and install. I have a thumbnail video that I recorded myself and I can instruct visitors on something to do and an action to take. You also have the option of configuring different action items like send me an email. Through Chipbot Nexus, I can answer questions and more importantly, I can learn from my clients by listening to what they are asking for. And if you thought it couldn't get any better, you can log into your dashboard and get metrics on what your visitors are doing on your site. During the installation process, I got fantastic support and ChipBot helped me to make my bot even better. Try it today, it's free. Go to getchipbot.com and sign up today. That's getchipbot.com. G-E-T-C-H-I-P-B-O-T.com. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, talk commerce. All right, welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today we have Kisan Patel. Kisan is the CEO and founder of MA Science. Kisan, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do from a day to day standpoint and uh, maybe one of your passions in life. Hey, thanks, Brent. Pleasure to have this conversation with you. As CEO of MA Science, we run a business that's pretty much all things MA. We provide education, training, resources, frameworks, and also software products to help manage the MA process and make it as smooth as you can. It tends to be complicated when you have hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are going through one of the largest magnitudes of change management that can possibly happen in the business environment. And trying to do that without having them get pissed off and quit their jobs. Yeah, and I in our green room we did we talked a little bit about about some of the some of what I've gone through with with selling a company and then integrating and still being on board with the leadership. Uh, so maybe we could talk about uh, a little bit about 
what does it mean to merge and what does it mean to acquire and is it really a difference anymore? I don't think there's such a thing as merging. I think there was a thing and there's some type of uh, financial vehicle around it, but today, no. Because at the end of the day, one management team takes control of the other management team. So it it's essentially is an acquisition one way how you look at it or another. I, I feel like the merger part is more of the PR placement, trying to make it cute and friendly to the public. But public's wise. They know what M&A is. And I think everybody at this point has a sense that it's a change of control. Yeah. And I think if you think from an accountability standpoint, there has to be somebody who is accountable. And suddenly you can't have two parties that are accountable you have to have it one. At, ultimately, there has to be one at the end. So when you're bringing on somebody or you're talking to somebody about uh, a mergers or a, and, acquisi- or and acquisition, do you come down through a bullet point list of here, here's the things you should be worrying about and here's, our, here's the things you should be upfront about? And maybe you could walk through from a high level standpoint, walk us through that process. You, you can look at it from either side, the buy side or the sell side. It's probably... One of the big dividers of this whole conversation. Then from there, you can get a much better sense of what you need to focus on to make things right. I think a lot of the the big things when you think about the buy side is preparation to take a company, present it for sale, and actually transact on it. Because it starts off really simple. You need some basic high-level information. But as you go through the process... It intensifies and becomes more complex. There's more information that gets reviewed that's going to be requested back and forth, more clarification questions, more people involved, spending time doing their diligence, trying to understand the business, what's represented, make sure it's accurate. The more you can prepare for that up front, the best position you'll be. That's one of the most critical things that sometimes gets overlooked. And then the rest of the process will be even more taxing as it already will. I think that's, if you can work with an like, advisor to do some of that prep work is ideal. I think being creative about it, a lot of people just run to the local investment bank, but you could actually find folks in the industry that's done that. Maybe there is like a CFO person that has been involved with a couple M&As in the industry. And if you can identify that person, bring him in as a contract, so, something of that sort to help prepare the business. But, but find that, that advisor that could really do it. I think the other part is when you look at how you want to sell a business, right? Do you want to play the long game or do you want to play the short game? Do you have this urgency or time frame? And if you had a really tight time frame, say less than six months, you probably want to engage an investment bank and run more of an auction process. So they can go out and run through their network of folks they know and folks they don't know and reach out to the whole universe of of buyers, be it private equity, family offices, high net worth individuals, institutions, corporates, and then be able to go through the funnel and get this interest down to some options for you to consider. That's a good way to do it, and it tends to lead to the highest price, but sometimes it doesn't lead to the, the best buyer or suitor to take that company to the next greater place of growth that person or buyer could potentially be warned off from that whole auction process if you win an auction process you're not really a winner 
a lot of the smart, savvy buyers aren't going to participate in a highly competitive auction process. So if you go back to if you didn't have the urgency and you're going to play the long-term exit six or six months or greater, then that's when you want to get to know the buyer's universe and take your time as CEO of the company and start understanding what corporates are. They have a corporate development function that's in charge of their M&A activity. Who's in charge of that? They have a head of corporate development. That's their job is to be out in the market knowing the potential acquisition targets and companies like yours. So you, you should be on that person's radar or at least have the introduction meeting so you know of each other. And there's nothing wrong. I think it's good to have that conversation. Some of those organiz- same organizations are likely to be really good partners for you. So think about your space, who are those likely acquirers of your business and make those introductions, build those relationships. It's just better terms when you have a good relationship with that company that you're likely to get acquired by. You can know each other, know the cultures of the different organization, really spend the time and the consideration on all these things that could go right, go wrong. When you're in this auction process, your timeline's compressed, especially in this market right now. It's so crazy. They're not even giving you an exclusive period. You have to just be competitive all the way in till close. That throws all this consideration and smart thinking out the window and you're buying irrationally. That's where there's a lot of value in terms if you want to put, if you want to make sure the transition goes well, that you're making sure the business goes to the right home, a culture that will fit well together for there to be growth for all the people that it took that ride with you to create the value and get the business to where it is today. So I think one one question I guess I'd have for you would be, I know there's a difference between the, the larger deals and the smaller deals. I'm assuming that the more information that you have, not information, the more processes that you have developed in advance is going to help uh, both buyer and seller. And from a buyer standpoint, how from a buyer standpoint, it's easy to see the processes. From the seller's standpoint, it's not as always it's not always as easy to learn about the buyer's processes until after the fact. So the question is how much should you insist on as a seller seeing some of those buyer's processes? You should. I, I think the way things are evolving, the buyers are getting more savvy to it. And we'll throw the term around reverse diligence. How do you get the company you're acquiring to better understand your organization and what the different business looks like, where they would fit in, have that understanding so they'll be better prepared for that transition. When it, that's, that's essentially the reason you want to do it is because you're going to work better together to on the, all the post-close activities, all the integration work. And if if that goes well, people are happier and they're going to stick around and they're going to achieve goals and create values for the business. I think it's part of a bigger piece of creating this process that's connected together with a vision, with a vision, what the end state's going to look like when we're going to buy your organization and what are we planning to do? How how do we see it coming together? What's our go-to-market going to look like? In fact, we should be able to sit down and outline a go-to-market together to get a good sense of, hey, this is where, what it's going to, what's what the customer experience is going to look like. Are we, is it your, are we combining the sales teams together? Are they going to be selling, are both of them going to be selling one giant portfolio of products? Are we going to let you guys run independent? And when we just 
sell yours, this whole separate product line. What's that go-to-market going to look like? What's that strategy? And if we can outline that, I think the other critical component is the values of each organization to understand it leader to leader and be able to identify that with the company culture, to understand the real people, the leadership, how they operate and manage the respected teams. Because there's things that we can acknowledge are nice commonalities and then some unique differences, but then there could be some stark differences that we could identify some potential conflicts. If you operate on a pure top-down strategy and we're very much a bottoms-up managed company, that's going to create some frictions. We can't just integrate our organizations together. We need to think of this thoroughly how it's going to actually work because, you know, if we don't figure that out, then maybe this deal isn't going to make sense to do. I, I would say that and then the other piece around that is thinking this vision, right, of what you're trying to achieve in the end state and building into pillars of value drivers and being able to align teams around those value drivers is think of them as OKRs. They're defined and all the tasks that need to be executed can roll up to these OKRs because the big problem that you lose sight of all, all the potential values when people lose that end state goal of what they're trying to achieve and they don't know where they fit in or what they're doing. So the better you can align that by using these OKRs and prioritizing them, creating teams around those OKRs specifically to deliver on them. That's where that critical part of being able to execute the integration activities, because you're not buying a company and operating it. And it's going to make money for you. You need to buy it with a model that lays out potential synergies you can capture through cost synergies, cutting costs where you can, economies of scale and whatnot, and then the increasing revenue. Are we going to start cross-selling the products? What are we going to do to generate the additional revenue? Is that going to bridge our technology roadmap so we can get to market faster in a new product? So I think we, having those OKRs what helps keeps those teams, that big picture alignment there. Because when you lose that big picture alignment, you lose everybody. You lose their focus. It's in the wrong direction. But I, I think those are the, the big pillars to think on that expand off of having that target company understand you and the, the, the buyer should. So I, I think in this, on the seller's regard, that is something that you want to know. And it's part of it. And I, I think the seller a lot of times have that disadvantage because it's not a frequent reoccurring thing, the theme that they do. Most of the time it's a one-time life event. So how, how do you develop that? And that's where you get depending on some of the advisors. But the challenge with advisors is <laughs> you basically pay them till close. So they don't have a lot of post-close considerations for you. They're not sitting there analyzing that end state and the go-to-market and <laughs> helping to calculate the probability of that going on, the cultural fit, these this sort of things, all the post-marriage activity that you're going to have to commit to for the rest of your life. But they're not there helping you to analyze that and look at it they think of everything for you up until that day they get their check yeah that's you bring up a really good point so in your role as a, as an as a advisor would you stay on with that so if you're helping the buyer to navigate this um would you stay on with the buyer until some endpoint 
And I, I think back on, we, we both talked a little bit about entrepreneurs organization or, or, and there's also a thing called EOS, Entrepreneurs Operating System, where there's an implementer that comes in and they help implement some process for you or an entire process. That role is usually hung on to for two years uh, after that's been implemented. Do you, A, do you do that? or And B, is that something that, that you see buyers that will need that post-transaction? Now, you brought a really good point up. This is where our business has been evolving. When we started with software, with a basic software diligence management tool, and we got to understand the problem of diligence management really well. Then the nice natural adjacency was integration management. So we developed a competency around integration management, iterated, iterated a lot of the software functionality, and then we did the front-end pipeline piece. And then we had this full comprehensive lifecycle management solution. So we'll work with corporations in digitizing that lifecycle management. A lot of times they're just using Excel across the board and stuff's pretty scattered out. They're using maybe a data room, like an old school data room. That It's funny because back, I think, about 15 years, 20 years ago, they would come to your office and scan all your documents and put them on servers. And that was the virtual data room business for you. And they would charge a lot. <laughs> they should charge like $1.25, something like that per page. You got thousands of pages that need to get scanned and put on the web. They made quite a bit. What's interesting is today they still use that same per page billing model, but there's nothing being scanned or nobody going to the office or nothing. Nobody's going to the office in general right now, but they still charge. They're still charging and maybe not as much. It's in the sense per page. But I, I, I think it's interesting because it's still playing that model of here's a company, a lot of data, and then next thing they're spending a million dollars a year plus for this high security data that that's how inefficient this was it's that and then your process flow is all done in excel we built it around that i think it was probably six years ago a friend of mine in marketing was like hey man you should do a podcast uh, we started getting into that with a mission of enabling MA practitioners to be able to share their lessons learned and the the idea was because that was the problem we saw we kept working with these companies and they all had a different way of thinking and looking at MA. But this industry itself is lacking standardization, best practices, the real science. That's where we started this theme of M&A science. So the podcast was M&A science. As we kept learning, we started documenting all these things that we've learned. And we it took transcripts of these podcasts. And I think to date we have over 350 published blogs. You build a community around it. We have these practitioners that show up to our events. They start an online school. They'll get take courses, get badges, certifications. And it's all of this pursuit of getting good, optimizing M&A, getting really good at it, looking at our industry as this practice. And that, yeah, there's a, a swarm of bankers out there, and most of them are out in their self-serving regards. But to be an actual practitioner and sharpening your skills in all these areas that really are what generate value in a deal. And they're not models. They're not always math formulas. It's a critical part of it. But when we look at the actual doing the diligence through executing integration, that's real people skills. That's real leadership skills. It's more about managing change than anything else. 
so I want to uh, put Magento out there as a guinea pig on on success and failure. Specifically, Magento uh, was purchased by eBay in 2011. They had a different vision, and I'm, of course I'm speculating because I wasn't part of their team at the time. But I was a, a partner with them, and I I found firsthand on how they dealt, how eBay dealt with the, with the users, and how eBay dealt with employees, and then how they dealt with partners. So that's my perspective on it. And I know that after two years, eBay came back, did a reset and said, hey, we actually care about our users, we care about our community, and we care about our partners. Do you see that happening a lot in this space where hey, they've taken a little bit of time, realized that they need to make some changes, and they go ahead and make those changes? Please don't have a choice nowadays, because things are moving pretty quick. And if they see what's working, like when Adobe ran the Magento product, they had a much better ecosystem to support a product like that where they can foster growth. And they immediately saw the value, which is why they paid a high amount for for it from eBay. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that too, because just recently there was an open letter that was written by the Magento community to say to Adobe, you have to change something or you will lose the majority of your community open source customers. And the message, the problem was there was some transparency in messaging. It turns out, we don't know everything yet, but it turns out that Adobe was on the same page, but they didn't have that messaging in place for that open source side of the community. In in terms of Magento or Adobe, the the open source probably is ninety five percent of the install base, and the in the commercial version is five percent. And again, I'm I don't know if these numbers are accurate, but it's a big proportion that are on open source. So there's a lot of open source users that are skewing the sort of usability or communication channels that Adobe has out there. So it Adobe then has now come back and said, "Hey, we do care about you. Um, we are going to support you and helping to convince the community in general or the users in general that we are behind this vision of open source software as well as the commercial version of it, and here's how we're going to do it. It just took them a while to get there. Crux of managing change the The gap here was the communication that the intentions were good and they were there, but as part of doing this acquisition the comm plan didn't cover that part, that there's this suspect, sus or subset of people that they didn't get the right messaging to to have them clarification about what was happening, why, and how it's going to affect them. And in your process, do you go and help them uh, identify those gaps? Or uh... There's a whole comm department from that. Corporate development, the leaders should be helping to shape that, and they should continuously iterate on it throughout the project we don't work with companies directly on it there's a whole bunch of consultants that specialize in that alone but in our academy we'll cover offerings to teach people the basics around stuff like that i I guess some of my points here or at least my what i'm trying to illustrate too is that it's it, it no matter what size the deal is and no matter how mature the company is it seems like there's always going to be issues that come out of it. And I think to your point, the sooner they can manage that change, the more successful they will be in that acquisition and then transition into whatever's next for that particular business. That's the hardest part. If you can get good at that's your whole competency of M&A. If you create change for the greater good, that you have this vision of how you're going to make value from purchasing the company, they're able to execute and deliver on that. That's, that's it. That's the whole M&A is all about. But that, that part is the 
part that makes it the most challenging is to be able to do that. If you can understand that part, it'll allow you to, to make that part of your success by managing that change, knowing how to align people around priorities and have them achieve and change, achieve goals, but then not have to, the big typical problems like attrition, change goes bad, people get frustrated, they leave and quit. All the headhunters around are after them after a deal's announced. So there's, uh, especially in this market, managing that change, it allows you to really bring things together in a nice way that happens quickly, communicates well, so people are in the know. They don't feel all this fear, uncertainty if they have a job or not. Or And it's just, I think a lot of it, you just got to be real clear and transparent because people can take the bad news. <laughs> they just can't take no news. So yeah, as long I, as you can keep communicating it, saying, hey, we are going to let some people go. That's the whole point of this deal. Like, we're going to save some money, and then we're going to use other resources to make the company overall much better, provide better value to our customers. Okay. But we're going to create a lot of other new jobs in these other areas. The good far outweighs the bad. And obviously, there's opportunities for those people that you know are going to get affected if they can transition to it. But that, that's the thing. If you can get really good at managing change, that's your whole competency around it. That's a good M&A program. To acquire businesses and have them continue to grow and be healthy. It's really hard to do. So many people screw it up. So many corporations. We just seem sometimes just murder some of these companies, especially these little startups. <laughs> Start integrating them. Want them to turn into follow every little large corporation process. And that's not what they signed up for. Yeah. And uh, again, we're having a little bit of a technical problems with Riverside. But okay, it's good, so man. I've just been riffing. No, I've you're doing great. I, and I hear you the whole time. I just, uh, I'm trying oh, to. Oh, do you? That's good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So just let's just wrap it up here with attrition. I know that you, I heard you say attrition. And I wanted to talk about like when Adobe purchased Magento, they, everybody stayed on, but I think part of it was they just moved people into different roles. So, Part of that change management has to be, and I heard you say communication quite a bit. It sounds like communication and transparency, as much transparency as you can get with each of the employees, is a key factor in that. I, yeah, the way it's difficult because you can't sit down with people one on one. Like ideally, you should, and the change is going to be hard regardless. Everybody's going to have challenges with it. Uh, plus, just the projects, your scope of work, it's just a lot of change. And if you don't feel you're up to speed in what's going on. I, that's what we've seen is the, the hardest part to really manage it when we look at a lot of the clients that we work with. It's not like the technology or stuff like that. It's really, they bought a company and they need people to do stuff and have everybody really motivated and doing it. That's really hard. Yeah, so setting those expectations and, and helping everybody's aligned with the new vision of the leadership is the key to success from the anti-attrition they call it anti-attrition as, as you're trying to bring people and keep people on. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like the gravity is the attrition. <laughs> people are just naturally going to, you know, especially like the you've seen the startups, it's hard to keep them. When we've seen it happen a lot where it just stunts the innovation. You get to keep people that leave and then it's, it's over. Yeah. Uh, we see one of the big IoT companies. All right, let's just bag on Google for a bit. Like their Nest acquisition, that turned off to be a big disappointment. They came out with some great products to start the business, built it up, got acquired at a great valuation. I remember it was two or three billion, but they didn't keep cranking out products. A lot of their 
leadership team left and it, there, it happens a lot and since this is like one example like that's what it just happens a lot it's a big hard thing to do yeah and having all that organization up front or i think in the very beginning you you said having all the planning in place especially from the buyer standpoint is important but the seller having their having some kind of a transition plan is just as important it should be something that's joint that's working together and then I think at the end of the day, people tend to forget about the customer. So maybe both of you, both sides of the table working together with uh, things aligned around the customer's perspective might be the way to, to really do it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Align around the customer. Look, how are we going to do this? We're just going to, if we create value, it's all through customer experience. We can just build, how are we going to actually make customer experience better and compelling and really think that through from the time you start working together and at that in that journey, understand each other's cultures, the values, and then you'll get a good sense. Hey, this would be a good partnership that's happening or leading in like a partnership of us working together to achieve this. And then it could be a really good net positive things when two organizations come together for the greater good, a lot of value gets created. But we see it happen a lot by companies and things go awry pretty quick and then that's it. A lot of value gets gone, destroyed. Wrote down. The company doesn't grow to the next big thing that everybody wanted them to. It's just things fall apart. And yeah, and I'm assuming Adobe still has a vision that uh, that they're sharing again with everybody, and they are going on to the new great things. And I'm crossing my fingers that it will continue to be a success. <laughs> they do. They do pretty good. They got great competency. I know one of our M&A science alums just joined their M&A team. What to see. It depends on their con department, how friendly they are letting people get some airtime on a podcast. But right. Maybe we'll, we'll find out soon enough. Kisan, we have used a lot of time up here, and unfortunately we use it up in, in technical difficulties, so it, we, we might have to do this again in the future. We, we should do this again in the future. I'm going to rephrase that. So as we kind of wrap things up here, I always give everybody a chance to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like to. Go ahead and plug something today. Uh, we can talk a lot about mergers and acquisitions. If anybody's interested in learning more about mergers and acquisitions, we have tons of content on mascience.com. Yeah, anybody interested? We have a diversity scholarship program to promote diversity in the industry to give uh, a couple of years on, on the academy program. So it's a great opportunity to expose people that have not familiar with M&A as a career path to understand learn about it. It's an interesting world that we often associate with just the bankers and working in the boiler room operations, but there's so many other roles that involve some of the things that are more important what we've been talking about, people. And how, how do you align people around these goals to make things happen and manage this large magnitude of change? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's such a great point, too, because people are what makes your company run and making sure those people are happy people, happy employees make happy customers. Thanks again for bearing with me today on our, our on the podcast and some technical problems, but I appreciate you being here, and I hope you have a wonderful week. And my pleasure. You too, Brett. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce. New shows out every week. This episode is brought to you by the Magento Association. Join today at magentoassociation.org forward slash join. Be part of a great and vibrant Magento community.